Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled A Mindful Life Advice for Daily Living by Lama Kathy, Lama Tom, and Lama Adam. As part of a retreat program for KTC, the three Lamas discuss ways to take our meditation practice off the cushion and into our everyday life. The value of mindfulness is that it allows us to make changes in our daily thoughts and habits. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Teksum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, thanks, thanks everyone for uh, for joining us uh, for the fi- this is the final session of the Columbus KTC Fall Retreat, and um, uh, I'm uh, Kathy Wesley, and we've got Lama Tom Broadwater as well as Lama Adam Burner uh, with us today. And like uh, we really appreciate uh, all of you joining us. Uh, I know some of you may have kind of just stumbled on here because it's the usual Sunday morning Dharma talk, and we kind of are are blowing the the program a little bit here. But um, we had uh, given talks uh, Friday night and then Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon on the topic of a mindful life. And uh, uh, to just briefly uh, recap, we talked about how meditation helps us to develop mindfulness and how mindfulness is then the foundation for making change in our life. And um, I think that's the simplest way to, uh, to talk about what we've discussed so far. Uh, and uh, today, uh, we are going to uh, spend the next hour, I think, answering questions. Uh, have, you, have you guys started on that before I showed up or... Okay, this is being recorded uh, for uh, folks who could not attend. So just a a quick reminder, if uh, you uh, do not wish for your video image to be on our recording, uh, you can uh, go to the upper corner of your upper right hand corner of your Zoom window with the three small dots and and, and click stop video. So um, I guess um, there are a couple of different ways to go. I see we already have something in chat. Okay, so uh, ready for questions. So um, I, let's, uh, oh, they're, they're starting up. Okay. What would you say to someone who has suffered severe trauma and can't manage to meditate? Um, I, I don't know exactly um, which, which direction to go in on this. Um, you wanna, do we wanna start, since there are three llamas, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Lama Tom. You want to try this one? Yeah, I think that's it's difficult to say too much uh, about someone that has serious trauma and as a result can't meditate. Um, I would, if I were talking to that person directly, I would say, uh, be compassionate on yourself. The fact that you can't, uh, given those circumstances, might be, you know, fairly normal. So. I would uh, I would do compassion and if uh, if possible I would try to do a little Tong Lin in other words uh, giving yourself uh, in the form of uh, bright rays of light uh, uh, 
you know, some whatever you need in order to uh, heal from that trauma and uh, taking in uh, whatever trauma you may have uh, in a, uh, you know, in a Tonglin process. But I think the most important thing would be uh, to have compassion on yourself. Uh, if you've gone through something very serious, uh, you know, you may not be uh, able to do too much. You might uh, look for uh, inspiring uh, literature, uh, spiritual literature that might be helpful to you. Uh, I Maybe one of the other lamas could think of some literature that you could do. Uh, but, uh, and if, if reading, it, sometimes uh, trauma makes it uh, difficult even to read. So maybe going to uh, YouTube and finding some uh, inspiring uh, spiritual uh, talks, uh, that might be helpful. Um, but I think uh, the most important thing is to be kind to yourself during this difficulty. And if you have this trauma, uh, seeking out spiritual friends, speak, uh, seeking out therapists, uh, those kind of things to help us through. We oftentimes think we should just grin and bear it. And uh, that's, you know, that's not, that's not very healthy sometimes. So getting help is, is also something I would look for. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Lama Tom. I, I really appreciate that uh, observation. Lama Adam, did you have anything you'd like to, to add? Uh, I would say the same as, as Lama Tom, but I would also say that I think that, um, that anything we do builds some kind of habit energy. So I think keeping images of Buddhas around or maybe playing um, recordings of um, sadhanas or things like that is, is something that, that can be done. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, uh, that's also something I've, um, I have found is that uh, if, uh, if a person is having a, di a difficult time uh, with a quiet sitting meditation because it reignites feelings of trauma and so on, it is really good to work on with an alternate method of meditation, such as the uh, the Tonglen, doing Tonglen for yourself and then for others who feel like you, and then finally for all beings. This um, this particular practice was taught by Kempo Rinpoche as a way of working with one's own feelings, that you do Tonglen first for yourself, secondly, for all those who feel like you, and then finally for all beings. And then a mantra meditation is also really useful, just like Lama Adam was saying. So. So thank you for that question. Uh, then we have another, the next question is for Lama Tom. Uh, it's, uh, it says, I am drawn to the meditation you taught about old age sickness and death. How do you recommend integrating this into our daily meditation uh, practice? Uh, and then uh, sh and then she notes that since the uh, book study on Great Path that we did this summer, uh, she's been doing uh, the short form of the Lojong practice. So Lama Tom, uh, how, would, uh, how would you integrate that uh, meditation on aging and death that you taught? Um, yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, there'd be a, there, there's a number of ways. Uh, one thing that I suggested in the talk was uh, sort of micro mini sessions where uh, you uh, sort of um, pause for a moment and uh, as a result of that contemplate or that Tonglen for yourself about old age, sickness, and death, the uh, if you might, you might put it that there's a resolution involved there too. That 
that uh, that uh, life is precious. And so periodically during the day, it might be helpful just on the spur of the moment, um, think to yourself how precious life is. Mm-hmm. And you could make these sort of uh, micro mini uh, meditations sort of like a rosary that fits together throughout the day. Uh, so that would be one way uh, to deal with it. Um, so th- th- I guess that would be my answer for right now. Lama Kathy or Lama Adam, do you have something you might add to that? Lama Adam? Um, I, as part of the uh, practicing the, the four thoughts in the morning, um, one of the things that's recommended is the five root b- verses of the Kadampa school. And there's, there's, it's kind of five contemplations. And we do these to, to build the motivation to practice. Uh, like, like the, the uh, meditation Lama Tom gave yesterday, the idea is to inspire us to you know, be present in the moment and to do our practice. So the five uh, contemplations are uh, reflecting that nothing lasts, that everything changes. Uh, the second one is contemplating the many others that we know who have died. The third is uh, contemplating the many causes of death again and again. The fourth is contemplating what will happen to us at the time of death. And the fifth is contemplating what will happen after death. And these are heavy duty contemplations, you know, but um, the the purpose is to is to motivate ourselves to, to practice right now, you know, and find the value in this moment. So there. I would definitely say do them if you think that that they they will help you. You know, if, if these shouldn't be a cause of, of added suffering for you, but um, but I, I find them helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Lama Adam. Uh, and and by the way, if you're interested, um, those five contemplations are uh, detailed in uh, the uh, section on the four thoughts that turn the mind toward dharma and jamgun control's book of uh, the torch of certainty and uh, the new translation the torch of true meaning also has a, a conversation about these five so uh, it's under the section of the four thoughts that turn the mind and it's under um, impermanence so there yeah so that, that way in case you want to refresh uh, that's uh, you can find them there and i think um, i agree with what uh, the other lamas have said, which is sometimes these kinds of um, these kinds of contemplations can bring you um, a, a certain amount of uh, motivation, but then for some people it can actually cause them some depression. Little depression is probably not a bad thing, but a lot is probably problematic. So I always tell people, do it to your tolerance. Do it in a way, in such a way that it inspires you and doesn't uh, drag you down. If you do these contemplations and they begin to drag you down, then it's probably a better to contemplate um, how uh, precious your human life is, how precious your human life is, and how special it is that you have been born in this time, in this place, with the teachings, that you like them, that you practice them, even though none of ever practice as much as we want to. Uh, the idea that uh, uh, emphasizing the idea that you have that capacity to practice is useful. I'm really glad there are four thoughts that turn the mind toward Dharma instead of just one. The preciousness of human birth or for, is for the person who really needs to appreciate their, their good, the goodness of their position. Impermanence is for people who are, are a little bit not paying attention. <laughs> 
to the value of practice. Uh, karma is for the people who kind of don't realize that everything they think, do, and say makes a difference. And then the defects of samsara are for the people who say, eh, samsara, it's not bad. Why would I want to leave? You know, and so, um, and so each of these four thoughts has a specific audience it's aimed at, and that audience could be you or me. Who knows? Anyway, thank you for that. I see no more questions. Can anybody help me out with a question? <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question verbally? Sure. Uh, this is for Lama Tom. Uh, some time ago, you taught on uh, objectless meditation. My question is, uh, I have been used to... The, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Okay, some time ago, you taught uh, about the book uh, by Mingyu Rinpoche on, object, okay. on objectless uh, meditation. Okay, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, I am used to uh, uh, going back to my breath uh, yeah. uh, when my mind drifted. Yes. And so when, I talk, when, when you talk about uh, objectless meditation, I thought, hey, yeah, that makes a lot of sense for me. I'm going to try that. It's so awesome. It's so cool. And when I try it, I always go back to my breath. I don't know what objectless means. Does it mean I, I, I let my, my, my drift go and follow my drift? That is not meditation. So what is this objectless meditation? How do I, how do, I do it objectlessly? Oh, that's a really, really good question. Uh, you know, uh, that, you, that you start out with objectless uh, meditation uh, and have to go to your breath is what we all wind up frequently having to do. We need something to hold down our attention. It's like that. Uh, <clears throat> basically, uh, as I understand it, and I'm not a per I don't perfectly understand Minjurimbache, but as I understand it, and I, I've, I've had some teachings from him, but as I understand that, the most important thing is, uh, particularly in the beginning of your meditation, to be relaxed. And so just sitting relaxed without an object and so forth. But as soon as you uh, need uh, some tether, something to hold you down, then you go on back to your meditation. But it's not to be seen as an obstacle uh, to your meditation. Uh, and it shouldn't be used that way. It's basically to relax. Now, later on, as you, uh, as your mind quiets and you're able to sit quietly, then you're more likely to be able to fall into that. Um, he calls it open awareness also. Uh, so, but that's, you know, that's a few stages down the road. So most of us, when we do this open awareness thing, <laughs> we fall back into something we need to tether our uh, uh, meditation. So I guess what I'd be saying is what you're, you're experiencing is totally normal. Um, and uh, the other thing I would say to you in terms of your meditation, find uh, a, a good instructor at this point that can help you along so that uh, you can you can make these uh, adjustments uh, more easily and more quickly. So uh, I, I would I would strongly recommend that. And it sounds like you're at a point you could do that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, boy, I really appreciate that, Lama Tom. And um, uh, Amos, thank you so much for that question. Um, I remember um, when I first met uh, Minja Rinpoche, I had, a, a, I had like a five-minute interview with him. It was just an incredible blessing. I said, Minja Rinpoche, I said, Rinpoche, when you, you talk about awareness and, and uh, in, your, in your teachings, in this open awareness, I, I don't get it exactly. Can you help me? What, what is awareness? And he said, in English, he said, oh, awareness, very simple. He says, very simple. He said, do you see my hand? And then he passed his hand in front of my face, and I said, yes, Rinpoche. He said, do you hear this? I said, yes, I do. And he said, that's it. He said, you're aware of what you see. You're aware of what you hear. And you can be aware of that awareness. I said, okay, that's something that is not intellectual, it's experiential in nature. So, uh, and so when we meditate with that relaxation that he talks about in his books and that Lama Tom was talking about, when we meditate with that relaxation, technically, as long as we are in that relaxed frame of mind, thoughts will not actually arise and interrupt us. But because we're human and not used to this way of thinking and this way of meditating, thoughts will arise. And I completely endorse Lama Tom's approach, which is that when you first realize you're distracted, you, if you have the capacity to then relax in the middle of that thought and return to being aware of awareness, fantastic. If not, breath awareness is your friend that does provide you with a tether for your uh, for your attention and that will help the whole meditation go better these moments these moments of open awareness can also be done when you are not meditating for example Kempo Carter Rinpoche in one of his teachings said when you are at work and you are between tasks you've just hung up the phone or you've just stopped or finished a project he said just take a moment and let your mind flop. The translator used the word flop. Like you're resting, sitting down in your easy chair at the end of a busy day, fully relaxed. And he said, nobody's going to know what you're doing. <laughs> They're all just going to think you're being thoughtful for a moment. And he said, and just let that last a few seconds and then go back to what you were doing. And in this way, this is a building this confidence that we can rest our mind in a non-conceptual way. It's a way of accumulating the experience of non-conceptuality, which allows us to just be with our mind's awareness without having to stuff something into it so it's more interesting. Does that make sense? So Amos, does that help? <laughs> okay. Good deal. Uh, Lama Adam, I want to add anything or? I would just say that I'm a big advocate of the, uh, the mental flop. I am a big flopper. I do it frequently during my day ever since I heard that. So yeah. it, it's really helpful. And we can all do it right now. Okay, thank you. Next question. Um, Tashi Delek, everyone, and thank you for this. I have a question about insight meditation. 
when is an appropriate time to apply this and might you give a short review of how to do this if it is appropriate to uh, say that at, or to give this at this time i don't know uh, lama adam you want to try this one start with this one and uh, i this I, i'll be frank like this is not something i've had any experience talking about or teaching before so i'm not super comfortable of approaching this but but i would just say that i know um frequently what i've heard is that our shamatha, um, as we practice, starts to become insight. That it's, it's um, and and in fact, I, I, uh, I think I had a conversation recently with Mama Kathy about this because I, I, I was kind of confused about that idea, and I felt like even after three year retreat, I hadn't really learned what that is because I didn't want to really believe that in fact that's what happens, but. Um, but I, uh, my understanding is that as our shamatha progresses, that actually starts to become mm -hmm. insight. It starts to encompass insight. Is that correct? Yeah, and I, I appreciate uh, you um, articulating that because um, I remember uh, having the same question myself, and I appreciate it because you've had it, I've had it, the, the questioner is having it. And uh, it appears to me, based on uh, my study of, uh, of how uh, meditation is taught in the Karmakaju tradition here in the United States, that there are two ways to approach insight. One way is the way that Lama Adam is discussing, which is that as we practice our shamatha or our um, our calm abiding meditation, whether we use a visual object, a, a sound object, or the breath as our object. As we practice quiet sitting meditation, what will happen is, is that our mind will begin to settle. And as our mind begins to settle, uh, we will have a, an experience, uh, occasionally one of three experiences. We'll, we'll experience um, uh, some uh, feelings of mental or physical well-being, which uh, some people call bliss, but I prefer well-being. Then we would also maybe have moments of clarity where our mind seems quite clear. And then the third is that we will have periods where there are no thoughts. These are merely experiences, according to Kempo Karthar Rinpoche, and are the fruition of our previous good karma and aren't necessarily signs that our meditation is becoming, quote unquote, successful. Therefore, we can let go of them uh, and not focus on them and not try to make them happen. I think this is the most important thing to say about experiences like this, is we shouldn't cling to them or try to make, try to repeat them or make them happen again. However, as uh, His Eminence Tai Sita Rinpoche said to us, these experiences give us evidence that our mind is beginning to settle down. Over time, we will be able to rest our mind more comfortably more for longer periods of time and then insight meditation will actually arise from within the state of shamatha now there are there is another approach and that approach is to use uh, either analytical meditation exercises such as the analytical meditation on the nature of mind that's in great path of awakening there, there are four slogans in that book that teach it but it's better to learn from a human being who can guide you through this so that there are no mistakes. Because if you make a side, a side trip in meditation, you could end up uh, kind of in a cul-de-sac going or doing circles in the cul-de-sac and not going anywhere. So it's, uh, it's very, very uh, important to work with a teacher, as Lama Tom was mentioning earlier. 
And then these exercises, such as the uh, exercises in this book, as well as the uh, insight exercises that are in the ninth Karmapa's Mahamudra manuals, uh, those teach insight as a progressive set of exercises that a person does after they've established their calm abiding practice. So I don't know if that made it worse for you, uh, Julie, the person who's asking the question, did that help at all? That's right, everybody's on mute. Understood. She's given the thumbs up though. She's given the thumbs up, excellent, thank you. All right, yeah, and uh, so um, I think that at this time, just the, uh, the, the being able to rest in uh, that moment of non-conceptuality is gonna be as far as we can go today in this venue um, uh, for talking about insight. But, but you, can, you can send me an email or a Lama Adam or Lama Tom and we can walk you through the, uh, the, the particulars. Lama Tom, I'm sorry, you have anything to add on that? I forgot to. Well, I think it's what you said yourself before, which is uh, meditation in part is uh, learning to become friends with your mind. And uh, that, that becoming friends with your mind is the meditation. And at some point, if, you, if your mind calms, you can start looking at, well, what is this mind? And that's uh, insight. And so it may be uh, this open awareness. Uh, once in a while, if you do that, to say, well, what is this? What is, it? what is this mind that is quiet right now? But again, the caveat here is what uh, Lama McCarthy said, which is at some point when, that, when, you're, when you're at that stage where you're curious about that, you really should talk to um, someone individually who, who knows how to uh, uh, direct you through that. Okay, Thank, thanks for that. I appreciate that, Lama. Uh, the next questioner is asking uh, for um, uh, books uh, about um, uh, basic books about Buddhism. And, um, and uh, the two, two good books are um, Excellent at the Beginning and Dharma Paths. Both are by Kempo Karthar Rinpoche, and you can go to uh, www.namsebangso, and that's a hard to spell, so I've got it down in chat.com, and, uh, and check the books out uh, there, and they, will, they have them for sale there. So those, uh, those are really two, two really good books uh, for people who are interested in learning more about Buddhism. Uh, Lama, um, Lama Tom, Lama, Lama Adam, do you have other books to add in? Uh, I recently... Uh, read Essence of Buddhism by Trollok Rinpoche, which I think is another really good one. Uh, very clear and uh, well formatted. Mm -hmm. Very good. Alama Tom? Uh, Great Paths is always a good book. Yeah, Great Path of Awakening, yeah. And I mean, then, uh, Dharma Paths, excuse Dharma me. Dharma Paths, right, right, right. And then I've just typed into chat you can also try the articles uh, on my website, www.lamakathy.net, but there's a, another uh, really good place to go, and that's www.kaguoffice.org. Uh, Kaguoffice.org, uh, there's, there's just this really amazing um, article, a series of articles on the history of Buddhism. 
So just go to the Buddhism link on that page and just read them. They're, they're fantastic. Okay, next, uh, next question uh, is, uh, what should someone do if strong emotions arise during Tonglen? Um, let's see. Lama Adam, did you want to try that one? Um, I, I think that Lama, Kathy and Lama Tom are going to have better answers than I do, but I, I, the, what's coming to my mind is just the, this idea that the practice of Tonglen is, is to reduce this clinging to the self. So if things are coming up that, um, that are causing, are triggering our, our um, self-directed feelings, self-cherishing feelings, um, then we need to maybe back off or change the method uh, that we're practicing. Um, it, particularly if it's if if we're trying to do it for someone who uh, gives you know who who triggers us somehow you know who we feel uh, like it's a challenge for us to do tonglen for them. Sometimes um, uh, it's not the right time to 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 practice like that, and. Uh, it, it makes me think of this a little bit of this this idea of uh, of idiot compassion, which is this idea that uh, we we need to to try to cultivate impartial compassion, but our compassion is limited. You know, like in, until we reach enlightenment, we we do have there is a line where where we're just not we can't really go past there yet. We haven't developed enough, so uh, we need to know where that line is. And if we start to pass that line, particularly if we start to feel resentment towards the people we're trying to be compassionate so towards, it might be better for us to uh, to back up and kind of practice compassion um, from far away or in a more general way. Um, that's, I think that's what I have to say. Okay, yeah, Lama Tom, anything to add for this? Uh, so um, I don't know what strong emotions we might be talking about here. Uh, emotions could, yeah, strong emotions could be happy. Um, they could be sad, um, and I don't think there's anything particularly to fear about that. If one is feeling overwhelmed by those strong emotions, then I think it really is a question at that point of backing off and uh, sort of doing a little analysis of what's going on here. Uh, but the process itself uh, it can't, can't harm you if you understand it uh, properly, which is, this is about transforming your mind. It's not at this point actually taking on anything, really. It's, 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 uh, it's visualizing you're doing that. And in that process, you're going, to be, you're going to be transforming your mind. That's the point of it. Not at this point actually taking that on. So again, I would... I would say it depends on the emotion. Uh, whatever the motion, uh, emotion is, I would be wanting to analyze it a bit uh, post-meditation uh, and uh, then uh, coming to a, a, an understanding of what the, real, the, the practice is really. How's that sound, Lama Kathy? Sorry, I muted myself. Um, you know, um, I I, re I know. Hey, I, I I love being my age. I just got to tell you, I I love this whole gray hair thing. It's really it's really made my life more exciting. Um, so uh, what I can say is that um, um, that 
the way you're putting it is really helpful because we we feel these things on the cushion and it gets to be a little overwhelming and if we're overwhelmed in the moment then it's uh the 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 thing we can do at that time is we could even start doing tonglen switch and do tonglen for ourselves if we feel overwhelmed taking in our own feeling of discomfort and giving uh giving healing to ourselves and uh and then as you say in the post meditation when we get uh, up and out of our meditation seat we can begin to look at those issues that caused us so much trouble in tonglen so i think that I think taking that approach is a good approach and being able to uh, relax the mind in the moment uh, is, a uh, is a powerful thing as well. And uh, it's really interesting. There is a, a teaching that was given on Tonglen by Kempo Carter Rinpoche that was uh, a few years ago that was based on the teachings of Karma Chagme. And in, in, in his teaching he said the first stage of knowing that tonglen is working for you is that you, you it kind of touches you you get you're a little bit moved by it and uh and so i think that it, it does show that it's um it's having the effect on us but if we become overwhelmed then it is a little bit uh counterproductive and we have to try to find a way to uh steady ourselves in the moment so um appreciate that anything else the llamas want to add well if so or if not the next question is a variation on this what would be a skillful response to someone trying tong len who gets overwhelmed by all of the suffering that uh, she is breathing in not that she will be harmed by that suffering just that it is there's that that's a lot of suffering in thinking about this myself i see that my attention goes to the removing of the suffering not to the suffering uh, itself should i suggest that um i think i understand that last part but i'm not 100 percent sure of what you mean by the last that very last part could you elaborate a little bit no okay or for, for me when i when i do tonglen i don't get overwhelmed by the suffering because my attention is really going to the freedom of it i'm not like she gets into this place where she's like and there's hunger and there's thirst and there's this and there's that and there's war and there's she kind of goes into the suffering um, and I try to think of how come that's not happening for me? What is it that I'm doing that's different? And I think that when I do it, I'm my attention is on the removing it from people. It's a positive feeling that I have about it. I'm not sort of contemplating the suffering. Does that make more sense? I'm more I'm more trying to think how come it's working so well for me and it's not it's it's a painful thing for her. Oh, I see. And, and that's one difference that I see. Like, mm -hmm. what is it like? How come how come this is a, a powerful and wonderful healing experience for me? Um, and for her. And, and it's over and you see the pain. It's, it's 
Got it. And it. So like, why is it affecting me this way, but it's overwhelming her? I get it. Um, I think um, that um, everybody is absolutely and what different. can I suggest to her? And yeah, how, right. you know, how can I help her? Yeah, got it. Uh, absolutely everyone is different. And I think that that's the, the, the bottom line on this, that this is why some of us like one style of meditation and may not take to another style is that because of our, what I like to call our karmic makeup, you know, we have a karmic makeup and um, that we have, uh, I'll call them karmic presets, you know, from a previous lifetime habits and so forth that have manifested in this life as I like this and I don't like that. I prefer this. I don't prefer that. And so on. We all have those sort of karmic presets. And that's why some people will like one and not the other. And so for you, it might be a, this great experience, but for her, it's overwhelming. So um, maybe one of the things you could try and you could see about this is that um, you could see if saying to her, it's just if you're overwhelmed by the a large amount of suffering that there is, try imagining that you are um, the Bodhisattva Chenrezig. And, um, and this is actually a method that is taught uh, by um, Kempo Karthrimache. He, he taught this, uh, this is actually part of the Karma Chagme uh, teaching on Tonglen that he gave. And that uh, as, uh, as if you visualize yourself as being made of light and insubstantial, then he said, when you uh, take in the suffering of others, it makes your color brighter as Chenrezig. And so the, it, the, your color as Chenrezig or the brightness of your visualization of yourself as Chenrezig uh, continuously gets uh, bigger and better as you meditate. And that way the, the amount of suffering is not a problem because it's allowing you to manifest your bodhisattva potential in this symbolic way. I don't know, but uh, uh, Lama Tom, uh, Lama Adam, do you have other things that you suggest for uh, for her friend? I really like the idea of uh, how you describe it. So I don't think I have anything to add to that. I think that's really uh, pretty brilliant. But I do go along with what you're saying is that everybody's a little bit different. And uh, uh, it's like that. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I think. I think the only thing I would add is, is I, I kind of wonder if, if maybe that would be a place where uh, thinking a little bit about um, the limitless nature of things might help balance. Because like I said yesterday, like I think uh, there's a lot of times where if, if, if we start to get um, wrapped up in emotions and, uh, and get a little tense or, or have difficulty with, with, with our experience, a lot of times it's because we're clinging too much to uh, things being really real or things being empty, you know? Mm. So uh, I feel like that, that may also help us to start to think about a little bit about the nature of, of things, about, about things being limitless and, and clear, you know, in their nature. Mm -hmm. One of the ways this could be approached would be to suggest to your friend that before she starts doing her uh, Tonglen practice, that she reflect on the um, on the 
the sort of limitless nature of mind, that mind has no beginning, no end, no color, no shape. It, it's not made of atoms and molecules and so forth. And that coming to uh, the concept that they that her mind truly has a limitless capacity to give and a limitless capacity to accept might be useful. You know, my mind, even if it's just something she says to herself, as such, my mind has no color, it has no shape, it has no beginning, it has no end. And as such, it has a limitless capacity to give and a limitless capacity to accept. The, uh, that might be helpful. And in Kemble Karthorimache's book, Dharma Paths, on page 118, 119, he gives another uh, development that you might try with your friend. And that is, he says that the moment that the suffering comes to you, he says, it meets your pure bodhisattva motivation to benefit others through the practice. And in coming into contact with your pure bodhisattva motivation, all of that suffering dissolves into nothing and disappears. And, and then he even uses an example. He says, it's like you collected a little pile of dust and then the wind came and blew it away. And I think that this, um, this technique may also help her. So you've got like several different techniques you can ask her to try. Does that, does that seem? Okay, awesome. Thanks, guys. Then the next question is, um, is insight meditation the same as Vipassana practice? Uh, this is an excellent question. His Eminence Tai Sita Rinpoche answered this question for us when we went to visit him in uh, India for Mahamudra teachings. He said that the uh, Vipassana that is taught by the Insight Meditation Society of Barrie, Massachusetts and others uh, is related to the Theravadan path called the uh, path of the elders. And it is a different set of techniques. And so the insight meditation that anybody who has uh, undertaken the, those 10-day uh, intensives and so on, uh, that, uh, that the techniques of uh, paying attention to sensations in the body and so on, that is a specific set of meditation techniques that's taught in the Theravadan tradition. In the uh, Tibetan Buddhist tradition, uh, insight is, uh, is taught a little bit differently. But, uh, but in both cases, uh, the, in both cases the, the Theravadan approach and the Tibetan approach, both of them start with calm abiding or shamatha. So everything starts with calm abiding, which is called shamatha in Sanskrit. Breath awareness, or maybe you're using a visual object, or maybe you're using a sound object. By cultivating awareness of the object of meditation and returning your attention to the object when it wanders, this establishes something called calm abiding or shamatha. And then from shamatha, one can then apply specific techniques called vipassana or insight. And then through applying those specific techniques, one can come to understand, as Lama Tom was saying earlier, what is this mind that is experiencing? What is its nature and what is it like? But there are, but there are two separate sets of techniques, and that's what makes them different, is their techniques. I don't know. Did that answer your question? Yes, thank you so much. Okay, that did. Okay, that did it. Okay, thank you. 
um, next, um, the next question is, um, in one of the sessions, uh, Buddhist morning and evening prayers were uh, mentioned. Besides refuge and daily practice, what prayers do you recommend? Uh, Lamas, what do you think? You have... It's a good time to do the, the prayer that saved Sakya, which is uh, what the 17th Karmakpa recommended uh, as a specific prayer for the pandemic. And it's it's pretty short, um, doesn't take up a lot of time, has the Chinrezig mantra in the middle. So I definitely recommend that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, um, uh, Lama Tom? Uh, the thing, the, the things that come to my mind is there are various uh, aspirational prayers uh, that you can find in the Kaju Moonlam book, uh, which I love. <laughs> uh, and they're for all occasions, and you can look through those. I mean, there are a, a big variety of, of aspirational prayers there. I was also thinking uh, the seven branch prayer. Uh, I was also thinking uh, there was one other one. Um, there are various confessional uh, prayers that you can do. Um, and there are also certain simple rituals you can do to, uh, to enliven your, uh, yeah. your prayers. Um, so uh, I guess we, the person should talk to uh, one of the lamas and, and get that figured out where they are and what what makes makes sense for them. I, I'm, I'm giving a, a, a general answer, but that's that's the best I can do right now. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate uh, the the input on this uh, from Lama Adam and Lama Tom. And uh, it, it's not that there are specific uh, morning and evening prayers that you are quote unquote supposed to say. So it's, it's not like that. It's um, uh, beyond uh, doing your refuge prayers in the morning and refuge prayers in the evening to, to renew your refuge vow and beyond uh, renewing uh, your, <clears throat> excuse me, bodhisattva vow morning and evening if you have taken it. Uh, really, the, it's open to whatever you and your teacher feel will help you the most. As Lama Tom says, uh, there are five main, uh, they're, they're called the Ngushing Munlam, uh, that we, we, we learned these in three-year retreat. There are five specific uh, aspirational prayers that are common to the Karmakaju tradition. It's a, there's a, a prayer to be reborn in Dewa Chen. Uh, there's a, um, an aspiration for Ma Mudra. There's the uh, aspiration prayer of Maitreya. There's the um, dedication prayer from the um, uh, Bodhicharya Avatara. And there's a fifth one that suddenly I can't remember. Oh, it's the King of Aspiration Prayers. And so, um, and so all of these prayers are common to be done. And they're in the, um, if you ever want to go gr uh, get a, a, a set of them, write to, call Namse Bongso and order the, um, and order the Stupa Pilgrimage Prayer Book. <laughs> uh, because uh, when we did our Stupa Pilgrimages, um, uh, we actually learned some of these prayers because uh, Kemper Rinpoche told us to uh, learn them. But as Lama Tom says, you can actually get them uh, also in the, uh, the Kaju Munlam book because many people have this large prayer treasury. And the seven branch prayer is especially good because it counteracts negativity, accumulates merit, confesses faults. So, and any version of the seven branch prayer would be great to do. 
So one, uh, could I say something else, Amakati? Please do, please do. Uh, one of the things I would say is the fact that this person is inquiring what more can they do uh, with their morning prayers is a very positive sign. It's an indication of um, interest in going beyond where they are, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's absolutely true. True that. And uh, let's see. Uh, here's another question. Does it matter if uh, we say the prayers in English? Here's what Kempo Karthorubache said. He said, he said, it's good to know the meaning of what you're, of what you're reciting. And there's a blessing to reciting it in Tibetan. So <clears throat> he said both of these things. So since he said both of these things, I, I leave it up to the individual. What you might want to do is start by reciting them in English. And then um, maybe one day you'll do them in English. Next day you do them in Tibetan. One day you learn, you get to the meaning. And the next day you get to the blessing. Because there's a, there's a blessing to reciting it in the language in which it was composed. But because, the, especially since the Tibetans believe that their language, their written language was developed by an enlightened bodhisattva, they feel that because of that, everything that was written and composed in that language has a special blessing. But we, we see the two ends of the spectrum. We see the people who say, oh, Tibetan, it's so beautiful. I don't care if I don't know what it means. And then we have the people at the other end is, I am not ever going to recite anything to, in Tibetan unless I know what it means. And so all of these people need to take a few steps toward the middle. The people who really believe in the blessing need to come a few steps toward meaning. And the people who really believe in meaning need to take a few more steps toward blessing. You will know where you are on this spectrum. So, uh, so uh, I would say recite prayers in English until you feel good about understanding their meaning and then add Tibetan in or maybe alternate. So, um, so Lamas, what, do you have anything to add? I, I want to say that uh, this was a, a big thing in, in my three-year retreat for, for me and for, for a lot of people. I mean, we chant texts that are this thick in a given day and you got to get through it all. <laughs> and and you're reading it literally in Tibetan without the the phoneticized you know English letters Arabic letters you know so um, it came up a lot and I had interviews with Rinpoche where I would ask about this you know because there were things I needed to get done in a session and just reading the text took up a lot of time and like Lama Kathy said he he you know he he said there was a lot of blessing in it but we also needed to know what it meant and we have to figure out how to balance that but. I want to say, and I can't say that like, this comes from anyone else, so that I could be mistaken, but I've come to believe that there is a uh, practice in just being able to read the Tibetan, even if it's the phoneticized part. Like there's some mindfulness that comes along with being able to follow the, the phoneticized Tibetan or, or reading the actual Tibetan language too. And there's a little bit of a practice that you can discover in there just as far as being present with the reading and the meaning. And I, 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 I believe I could this this may just be me, but I believe that Rinpoche was actually teaching us a little bit of a practice in being open to reading the Tibetan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that, Lama Tom. I'm uh, good with what both of you've said. I think it's good. I I don't have anything to add to that. Um, I, I totally get this uh, because uh, when I was in three-year retreat, same thing happened. You know, we had the two ends of the spectrum, and 
And I think that um, what Lama Adam had to say about uh, Kemperbache uh, maybe giving us a teaching by encouraging us to to move toward that blessing by reading it in Tibetan. I think there's something to be said for that. And I have to tell you a game I made up. This is this is not a Dharma teaching. It's just me explaining a game I made up. When I was in three-year retreat, we did not have a translation for anything. I went on the first retreat. By the time it got to Lama Tom and Lama Adam, they had translations for everything. So I was basically just reading words, right? <laughs> Phonetically, and, and we didn't have transliteration. We just had to read it in Tibetan. And so I made up a game. I made up, I pretended and play pretend, I pretended that every single letter was the deity of practice. So if it was Makala, every letter was Makala's dancing form. If it was Vajrayogini, it was her form, and so on and so on. And I made up this thing so that by saying the name, I was invoking that particular Buddha or Bodhisattva. And so I made up the game and that helped me to, to work with what I, how I was feeling about not knowing the meaning. And so, uh, but that was a game I made up, but now you don't have to because translations are readily available. <laughs> what, you're, what you're saying, uh, Lama Kathy, uh, about there being translations, uh, in fact, I, I read Tibetan, but I don't, uh, you know, my comprehension's poor, to say the least. So I would have the translation right there by me as I was reading it. Uh, and if I'd forgotten what that meant, I would go over and look at it again to remind me of what it was. So uh, I, think, I think what you're saying is uh, there's value in both. That's, that's it. That's, that's really it. So if we can, you know, so if we, if we find ourselves at one end of this spectrum, you know, um, got to have the blessing and got to have the meaning, we just take a few steps toward the middle, we'll have it made. And I, I see a, a follow-up question uh, about whether pronouncing it, mispronouncing the Tibetan is bad. Nah, it's not bad. I mean, you might just embarrass yourself if you get in a group, but beyond that, beyond the embarrassment of, ha of pronouncing things differently, it, there's nothing wrong with this. The, the, the Tibetans aren't, uh, the Buddhists and Bodhisattvas understand you no matter what your language you're doing the practice in. They get you. They get you. Buddhists and Bodhisattvas hear you. They get you. They, they, they feel what you're feeling. They know what you're doing. So any language is fine. And even if you um, don't pronounce it in the way you like, it's all good. And that there are ways to learn how to pronounce things. Like uh, in, uh, in Tibetan transliteration, the A is always the A in father. Uh, and, you know, and the E is always this sound and so forth and so on. We can study those things and we can listen to, but because there are at least five dialects in the Tibetan language, even the way Tibetans pronounce things are going to be different. And all, a lot of our teachers came from Eastern Tibet. So they're doing their pronunciation with an Eastern Tibetan accent. And the people from central Tibet say, that's not how you pronounce it. You pronounce it this way. And so uh, it, even Tibetans have a, you know, have a little bit of a joke among themselves about the proper way to pronounce the Tibetan. So we're, we're, we're definitely okay. I hope that helps. Does that help? No or yes? 
Yeah, it's actually okay. The Buddhists and Bodhisattvas don't get mad. That's the cool thing about them. They don't get mad. The only thing we can do wrong in our practice is to be egoistic. You know, that's really all there is. It's the only thing we can do wrong is to is to be become like uh, egoistic about our practice. Like, oh, my practice is so great. Or, oh, my practice is so awful. You know, that's the only mistake we can make in practice. Even not doing practice is not a mistake necessarily. Tronka Rinpoche was asked this once, you know, is it bad if we don't do our practice? And he said, no, he said, nothing bad is going to happen to you if you don't practice. That's not, you know, he said, don't worry about that. He said, on the other hand, if you don't practice, none of those good things that are supposed to come from practice will actually happen either. But he said, it's okay. Nothing bad's going to happen. Let's see. We're down to, oh my gosh, is it really? We're, we're almost at the bottom of the hour. Oh my gosh. Furthering the question, I'd love for there to be a teaching cycle wherein we could learn pronunciation, something to consider. And yes, we will. I, I was considering that very thing. We'll try to put a pronunciation class together. How well, to, I think yes. One other thing that uh, we might suggest is there's all kinds of materials out of the Tibetan Institute uh, in Montana with uh, David Curtis. Uh, they can be yes. really helpful. They're really simple um, materials for anyone interested in the Tibetan language and learning it. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a really, he's a wonderful teacher and he, he knows how to teach uh, at a very elementary level. A lot of times when you get Tibetans teaching you, uh, they, it gets really, he's, he's, uh, he knows how we learn. So I would recommend him. Yeah. Also, um, there's a, a book, I think it's, uh, I can't pronounce her last name. Her first name is uh, Catherine or Kathleen. And uh, she has a book called Tibetan Sadhana Vocabulary. Uh, and that's a good one too. And you can actually look Lama David Curtis up on, thank you for putting that in there. Appreciate that. Um, Yes, that's the book I was thinking of, the Tibetan language pre-primer, and uh, then, yes, and then Learning Chenrezig. You can, um, uh, yes, put that out there. That's, that's really great. And, uh, and you can go to YouTube and watch some of Lama David Curtis's uh, lessons for free. So, so you can do that. I just, I just found this out last week. I didn't even know he had them on there. But just uh, when you get onto um, YouTube, just search. Lama David Curtis, and you'll see his um, his things. We're at the bottom of the hour now, so let's see um, uh, what this uh, this might be our last question. Uh, thank you for this. Uh, sorry if this is off topic, uh, but most people around me are deeply concerned about the upcoming presidential election, that it will determine the future of our democracy, the livability of our planet, and even freedoms of things like the ability to practice the religion we want. So could you give a refresher of how you would recommend handling living in this critical political moment? Um, yeah, I, 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 can, I can super relate to this because I think everybody's having like a, a little bit of existential angst about what's happening in, in, in our uh, nation. Nobody wants to, be, to live in a place where um, there's oppression of any kind. And uh, I have met a lot of people who are concerned about this. And um, I think that um, 
that from our own point of view, being able to um, pray for and, uh, and to dedicate merit to people we do not like is extremely important at this point. Because if we generate hatred and fear toward other people, then that gives them a lot of power. And, and it's really important that we try not to generate hatred and fear toward other people. And so we need to actually pray for and dedicate merit to all of the people who we feel are, are doing harm. And uh, there's, a, uh, there's a prayer, and I will be looking for it while the other lamas are answering, and I'll put it up here. There was a prayer that Kempo Karthar Rinpoche spoke to pray for those who do harm in the public sphere. And it's brilliant. We, we basically pray for them to meet pure spiritual friends, enter the path, and attain Buddhahood. So um, I think that's incredibly important. And so we have to kind of keep our own state of mind as a state of mind that is not going to hate and not going to judge our, you know, on our own. But then I think we also need to go farther than that uh, by, uh, by doing what we can uh, to, uh, to make you know, to make our own uh, minds more stable and at ease. So, uh, but I, I want to hear from the other lamas on this as well, and then uh, we'll come back to this in a minute. But the first thing is to try not to generate hatred toward those you disagree with, because that's going to actually cause you a lot of pain and suffering. So we have to find a way to pray for those other beings. Um, gosh, I don't know who to go first. Uh, we'll... we'll um, well, ask the Lama, uh, Lama Adam first, then Lama Tom, if you'd like to add something to that. Yeah, this is crazy time. Uh, and uh, when I was uh, when I was in retreat, I, I you know you're not supposed to get a lot of news from the outside. It, it's supposed to be as uh, you're supposed to have your head in the in the retreat. And so I uh, had asked everyone not to tell me anything about what was going on outside and. Uh, most, you know, everybody really stuck with that, but, but people couldn't help themselves from saying like, things are, are pretty bad out here. You should be glad you're in there. <laughs> and so I, uh, I knew stuff was going on and I knew some of the situation and, and towards the end of the retreat, I started to get more information because I didn't want to find everything out all at once. Uh, but when I was getting these letters from people saying that things were bad, I still feel the same way I did then, which is that, uh, fundamentally our situation in samsara is unchanged by all of this you know where we were four years ago or years before you know like frankly in situations where the political climate suits our our tastes um are probably less uh motivational times for us to do our practice you know so there's actually a great wealth of uh motivation in a time like this to do our practice and to look at our minds and um there's a, a teaching about how uh, bodhicitta can, you know, this wish to benefit all beings is kind of like a forest fire in the sense that, you know, wind, if, if it was like a match, wind could blow a match out. But bodhicitta being this strong, immeasurable motivation, any wind that blows by can only make it stronger. You know, so um, we can take all these things onto the path. And, and frankly, there is nothing in Tibetans who uh, had to leave their homeland in 59 and, and are still fleeing are a perfect example of the fact that there's nothing that can stop you from practicing Dharma. 
there, there's nothing that can stop you from doing that as long as you have the faculties to do so. So uh, I think that, uh, I don't know if that answers directly the question, but that answers what we can do for our inner world and, and for our mind that, you know, that we can then um, hopefully bring out to other people too. But so to look at these situations and to realize that like, it, you know, samsara is never going to be perfect. And that's the whole reason we're trying to reach enlightenment. And that's the whole reason we do the four thoughts to turn the mind and stuff. And the reason why we reflect on the defects of samsara, because we can't get attached to trying to fix. It's important to try to end suffering of all beings, but samsara will never get fixed. That's why we're not trying to stick around in samsara, you know. Thanks, Lama Adam. Lama Tom? Well, uh, reflecting on what both of you have already said, I think, you know, uh, we shouldn't be surprised that uh, there is this turmoil. Yes, it does seem much more pronounced than ever before, but there were times in the past where things were uh, to the people then uh, just as serious. So I think we have to keep that in perspective, number one. And number two, which is what both of you have already said, is what we can't really control that. Uh, and uh, it's, it's going to go wherever it goes. The most important thing is that if we want to be helpful at this particular time, how we deal with it in our own minds is the most important thing. So prayer is important. Continuing your practice is important. And in whatever way you can to be kind to whomever you come in contact, that, uh, that will be helpful. Uh, but uh, this is not surprising. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised if this is going on. What, uh, what we need to do is uh, nurture our own uh, response uh, according to the teachings that we've had. And, uh, you know, where it winds up, we don't know. Thank you, uh, Lama Tom. I appreciate that because um, uh, those of you who are familiar with the uh, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life will remember that in Chapter 1, uh, I believe it's verses 5 and 6, uh, Shantideva writes about uh, the, the world. And he says, um, like a, a flash of lightning in the dark of night um, illuminates momentarily all that the darkness had hidden. Likewise, rarely through the Buddha's power, thoughts of goodness arise in this world. Wow. Rarely through the Buddha's kindness, thoughts of goodness arise in this world. The next verse he says, thus behold the utter frailty of goodness. Except for perfect bodhicitta, there is nothing that can withstand the great and overwhelming force of evil. So basically, he's saying, he's telling us the end of the story, which is that no matter how bad things get, bodhicitta can never be destroyed, and bodhicitta will always win. And that happens inside the heart of the individual. Except for perfect bodhicitta, there is nothing that can stand against the great and overwhelming force of evil. So we have this, it's within us, it's natural to us. Yes, we're going to feel overwhelmed, and yes, it's going to look difficult. And as Kempo Karthar Rinpoche said to me once, it's samsara. What did you expect? 
It, he said, we call it the ocean of suffering. There is a reason for this. This does not mean that we should not go out and vote. It doesn't mean that if we are so moved that we would not uh, demonstrate and protest and this sort of thing, but we do have to watch our minds. His Holiness Karmapa said the only difficulty with uh, overt political action is that we often are swept away and carried away by our negative mental afflictions when we uh, protest and when we uh, demonstrate. So he said you have to watch your mind through the whole thing and try to always cultivate a mind of love. We can do this through practicing um, the compassion mantra, such as Om Mani Peme Hong, Chen Rezi's mantra. And I, you know, there's, um, it's not that we're saying samsara is hopeless, give up. We're saying we can affect, we can't fix samsara, like uh, the quotation given yesterday, we can't cover the earth with leather, but we can put shoes on our feet. And this is by practicing ourselves, we can keep ourselves strong so that we can be sources of strength for other people. And I think that that's something that we can do right now. So I'm hoping this is helpful. I, I did put the question, I mean, I did put the prayer down in chat and we'll send it uh, uh, out. You know, we'll make sure that it gets on our Facebook page and so forth tomorrow. Because of the time we did run over today, and I want to thank you for your patience uh, with staying with us as we went a little over time. But I want to say uh, a word of thanks uh, right now to all of the people who uh, came to the fall retreat. Uh, once again, we didn't get to toast marshmallows or have our noble silence at night, but I'm hoping that in the future we'll be able to gather again together uh, to, in, out in the woods to do the fall retreat in nature as uh, we have always uh, enjoyed doing it. But I want to thank everybody from everywhere because we have people in all, I think we have people in all uh, four time zones here uh, in the U.S. And so thank you so much for joining us for this fall retreat. And we hope that uh, when you dedicate the merit in a few minutes, which we're going to do uh, of your retreat, that it, um, that it uh, is a source of benefit for yourself and others. One more word, and that is uh, I want to thank the, um, uh, but a bit of eight people who um, who donated at the sponsorship level, um, you will be uh, you're, you're, uh, you'll be receiving gifts in the mail this week. But you please need to write to me uh, at um, at my. Uh, you can write to me at uh, either the organizer's address um, uh, on uh, the Eventbrite event, or you can write to me at Lama Kathy uh, at ColumbusKTC.org. Uh, and let me know your postal address. Otherwise, we will not be able to mail you your thank you gifts, the little booklet, the pin of Kemper Rinpoche's picture, and the, the sutra necklace. So I want to thank you. Your gifts will go toward rebuilding the Columbus KTC. It will delight you all to know that the people who uh, donated for the fall retreat raised $1,400. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the Columbus KTC rebuilding. So that's going to be, I don't know if that's a, if that, how many yards of concrete that is, but we appreciate it. And um, I'm just going to rattle off names. Uh, thank you to, um, to Deborah and Caitlin and uh, Kui Chang and Nancy and Hildy and Boone and uh, Leona May and Keith. Thank you so much for being, um, uh, being our sponsors. And thanks to all of you for bringing your goodness to this, to this event. Um, Lama uh, uh, Tom, Lama Adam, do you have any uh, closing words for us? This was awesome. I hope we do it again.
that's all I have to say. Thank I, uh, you, everybody. I, it was great. I really enjoyed it. It was like uh, you started feeling a little bit of community here, and uh, that's hard to do uh, with the technology, but we did it, and uh, I was, you know, it was amazing. I really appreciated uh, everybody being here. It felt good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And uh, and I'm going to attempt. Uh, oh, that's right. I can't. I can't do this. Um, but I will put. Let me see. Uh, I, I, okay. I was going to say I was going to show the uh, dedication of merit prayer so we could say it together. But uh, if we try to speak together on Zoom, it will drown each other out. So I'll, we'll do a, a mental dedication of merit today. We gather together all of the uh, goodness that we've accumulated through this uh, entire weekend, uh, dedicating ourselves to the practice of meditation and learning about a mindful life. We dedicate all the merit that we have accumulated in the past, are accumulating now, and will accumulate in the future to the liberation of all sentient beings. And once they become liberated, may they all emanate in all directions and benefit sentient beings endlessly. Um, here's a short prayer in English. Through this merit, may all achieve the omniscience of Buddhahood. May it defeat our common enemy, wrongdoing. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may we free all beings. May we free all beings. May we free all beings. Hey, thanks everyone. Greatly appreciate your, your being here. Omane Pei Me Hong, go out and benefit beings now. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk. <laughs>